One, two, one, two. Yeah. Special dedication to my brothers and sisters on the great continent of Africa. The saints in Malawi, Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Zimbabwe. Don't be deceived by what America's sending y'all, yeah. man. Let me begin. While there's still ink left in my pen, I'm set to contend. For truth, you can bet will offend. Deception within. The church, man, who's letting them in? We talked about this years ago. Let's address it again. Yeah. And I ain't really trying to start beef. But some who claim to be part of the sheep got some sharp teeth. And cats get mean when you criticize them. But Jesus told us Matthew 7, 16, we can recognize them. And God forbid that for the love of some fans, I keep quiet and watch them die with their blood on my hands. So there's nothing left for me to do except to speak to you in the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2. And I know that some will label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that this heresy. I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TBN, that channel is overrated The pastors speak focus statements, financially motivated It's kind of like a pyramid scheme Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream It's foul and deceitful, they're lying to people Teaching that camel squeeze through the eye of a needle Ungodly and wicked, ask yourself how can they not be convicted Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type Cause some of the statements are right That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light This teaching can't be believed without a cause the liars, you can achieve a crown without a cross And I hear it all the time when they speak on the block Even unbelievers are shocked how they're feasting the flock It should be obvious then, yeah I'll explain why it's sin Peep the Bible, it's in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 It talks about how the desire for riches Has left many souls on fire in stitches, mired in ditches Tell me who would teach you to pursue as a goal The very thing that the Bible says will ruin your soul, huh? Yet they're encouraging the love of money To make it worse, they've exported this garbage into others other countries. My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming. You want to know what all false teachers have in common? What? It's called selfism, the fastest growing religion. They just dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money, money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. No. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I'll yell. Down. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. Talk to him. Jewel Osteen. Let him know. Crestle Dollar is a false teacher. Well, Benny Hinn is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive ya. Talk to him. TD Jakes is a false teacher. Tell the truth. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. Let him know. Paula White is a false teacher. Use your discernment, let the Bible lead ya. Keep going. Fred Price is a false teacher. Tell the truth. Kenneth Copeland is a false teacher. Well, well. Robert Hilton is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive ya. Prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3.
Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back once again to another exciting episode of The Forage as we continue our study through the book of Jude. Thank you again for being here, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to what I have to say. It's very humbling when I think about the fact that there are actually listeners all over the United States and all over the world. Um, After all, I'm just a guy with a microphone uh, taking us through the Bible. I am no expert. I am a student of the scriptures, but I am compelled to keep doing this. May God bless it and use it in some way for his glory. That's my prayer. So we are continuing on with our inversion pattern here in the book of Jude, and we are on verses 17 through 19, where we are going to find false apostles. I'm sorry, not false apostles. Um, (laughs) Let me try that again. Apostates described. Apostates described. And this mirrors what we saw in verse 4, and that's what we mean by an inversion pattern. By now, you've probably caught on. If you've been following my pattern, you know that the themes are repeated through the book of Jude in reverse order. And that's what I mean by inversion. So, uh, the same theme which was brought up earlier is now brought up again here. So, let's read and hear the words of the one true and living God, and may he bless both the reading and the hearing of his word. Jude 17 through 19. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts, These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. I do want to jump right into something here. And there's a phrase that Jude uses, last time. Last time. We see this term being used throughout the New Testament, sometimes called the last days or the last time. And there was a time when I believed and what is called the pre-tribulation rapture. For those of you who do not know what this teaching is, I'm going to put it very simply and concisely, as simply and concisely as I possibly can. It's a very detailed subject, but I'm going to make it brief. But it's basically the teaching that the church will be taken away, taken out of this world in what is called a rapture, And after this catching away, as it's called, the earth will experience a seven-year tribulation period called the Great Tribulation. And this is a time where without the church being present, the Holy Spirit will no longer restrain the evil in men's hearts and evil will run rampant. And there will be seven years of pure evil on the earth. The Antichrist and the false prophet will come on the scene And among other things, all those who are in allegiance with him will receive his mark. And you may have heard of this, the mark of the beast. And the culmination of all this um, is the battle of Armageddon where Christ returns with his saints, defeats the devil, and sets up 
the 1,000-year reign of Christ, or what's known as the millennium, or the millennial reign of Christ. This view of time, of both the future and the past, also goes hand-in-hand hand with something that is called dispensationalism. And again, trying to be brief here and not getting to, into all the details that I could get into, Dispensationalism teaches that there were seven, there are seven uh, dispensations or frames of time where God has dealt with man. And each one of these dis, uh, dispensations or periods of time, God has dealt with the human race in a different way. And so as you work through those, you find that there are seven dispensations and that we have lived through uh, six of them and we are in the ending of the sixth dispensation going into uh, the next thing that will happen is the seventh dispensation which is the millennial reign of Christ or what is known as the kingdom age or the kingdom dispensation. And I bring this up because um, first of all, let me say this. I was very brief. There's a lot, a lot more details that you could get into with this. There are divisions even among people who believe in the rapture, but they believe in a mid-tribulation rapture or a post-tribulation rapture, but they generally hold to the same scheme. And uh, there's variations within all of that. I'm not going to get into all of those different variations. Um, First of all, I just want to say this. If this is the view that you hold, then it's going to affect how you look at the book of Jude. In fact, it's going to affect not just how you look at the book of Jude, but how you look at all of Scripture. You will find things uh, in Scripture to support what you believe about dispensationalism and what you believe about the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I would just say this. This is the view that I used to hold to. I believed it. One reason that I can speak about it so well is because I know the teaching. I used to actually teach it. People would come to me with questions, and I say this not as a boast by any means. Believe me, I'm not bragging about it because I don't believe it anymore. <laughs> but I knew it very well. And people would come to me with questions, and I would answer questions and take them to the scriptures and show them different things. So I bring this up just to say that if that's the view that you hold, you're going to have a problem with consistency in scripture. And what we need to strive for is consistency in scripture and consistency with context when we read the scripture, whether it's Jude or any other book. It's one of the things that if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me say over and over, consistency uh, and context. The two words, they start with the letter C, consistency and context. So we cannot come to scripture with a preconceived notion or a tradition. And you might be listening to this and you're thinking, well, I've got that covered. I don't have any traditions. Friends, I can assure you that you have traditions. We all do. And they're not in and of themselves. They're not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to have a tradition. What 
does become a problem is when we allow that tradition to mess up the way that we look at Scripture. So instead of coming to Scripture and wanting Scripture to speak to us, we come to Scripture with an idea of what should already be, then we go to the Bible and try to find that. And it's called proof texting. We try to find scriptures that back up what we already say. So I want to just stress to you, friends, context and consistency. And I just want to challenge you. If you think that you don't have a tradition, I want you to examine your heart, your mind, and your life. And you might think, well, I go to a non-denominational church. And one of the things about being non-denominational is we don't have any traditions. Wrong. <laughs> I attended a non-denominational church for many, many years. And I can assure you that we had our own traditions and you do too. So let's be honest about it. Let's put it out there. We don't have to shy away from it. Uh, we all have traditions, myself included in that. So um, in our walk with Christ, though, what we want to strive for is that he would help us to strip away tradition to strip away false teaching and that we would know what God has spoken, not what our tradition tells us. So we want to stay consistent and we want to keep verses that we read in context. And what do I mean by context? I've said this before, but I'm going to review it here again. We mean, what was the original audience? What was the culture? What was the background and culture of the author? What was going on historically at the time that the book was written? This is why dates are so important, because we need to know what was happening culturally. Why? Because many times prophets were addressing things that were going on right then. The men who wrote the scriptures were addressing things that were going on right then in their midst. So if we don't know what was happening historically, we will run the risk of taking things out of context, and we don't want to do that. Now, we need to use the Bible to define the Bible. That's one of the things that I mean by consistency and context. So I can't just pull a scripture out and make it say whatever I want it to say. So I'm going somewhere with this. Remember, I started with that phrase last time. My second reason for bringing this up is because I no longer hold to the pre-tribulation view that I held for the vast majority of my life. And I was dispensational. And what I didn't realize, what I didn't know at the time that I was taught these things, is that there were different views. In fact, when I first began to learn that there were different views, I dismissed them because I could not get past my tradition. I just, it made no sense to me. I had no idea how people could look at what the Bible said and come up with something that was not dispensationalism or not pre-tribulation rapture. That's how much I believed it. Now, maybe maturity, <laughs> maybe getting a little older, maybe the Holy Spirit working in my heart and in my mind, I began to re-examine scripture. And one of the things that happened when I went to seminary, I went into seminary and I prayed, Lord, I just want to hear what God has spoken 
So please strip away from me the things that I hold to that are not in Scripture. Friends, that's a scary thing to do. It was scary for me because I knew as I was praying that prayer that there were things that I was going to have to come to grips with. I was going to have to wrestle with it. I was going to have to search it out. But I wanted to know not what I thought about what God said, but what did God speak? And so I encourage you to take that step and say, God, help me. Help me let go of things that are not from you. So you might be wondering, well, James, what do you believe in today? I mean, if it's not the pre-tribulation rapture and if dispensationalism is all wrong, then what do you believe in? So glad you asked. I believe, and I'll just put this right out there because I really don't care what other people uh, think about what my beliefs are. I believe in what is called post-millennialism. I believe that if you read the scriptures, and if you didn't have anyone coming to you with charts and graphs, and if you didn't have anyone explaining to you how you can take this verse over here and this verse over here and kind of pull things out of context and make it fit into a pre-tribulation rapture and dispensational scheme, there's no way that you would come up with that yourself. You might come up with a couple of things because there are elements of truth in it, but you wouldn't come up with the whole scheme. In fact, if you do some research, you're going to find out that these ideas came out of the uh, 1800s, primarily in the West, primarily in the United States, and there was a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, false teachings that came out of that time period in our nation's history here in America. The Latter-day Saints came out of that. Um, the Seventh-day Adventists uh, came out of that, predicting a time when Jesus was going to return. Ended up not happening, so they had to change their doctrine. Same thing happened with the Jehovah Witnesses. All of these false teachings and cults came out of a time period in our nation's history when people were looking for the last days. Okay? Um, it doesn't mean that if you still hold to pre-tribulation rapture and things like that, that you are in a cult. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I was not in a cult when I believed in the pre-tribulation rapture. But my only point is, it was during this time in the West, primarily in the United States, in the century of the 1800s, where um, there was this fervor, really, to uh, find out what was going to happen in the latter days. And you have men like Schofield and others. Schofield is just the one I'm going to point to. Uh, but there were others, and they came up with... Um, this idea that had never been taught in church history before. It was a, relatively speaking, new doctrine. So what is post-millennialism? Um, first, let me say, I did not arrive at post-millennialism in a single day. And I don't expect that anybody listening to this is going to arrive at it um, in a single day. It takes time. You've got to study, you've got to read your Bible, you need to pray about it, and you need to be open to the fact that you could have been wrong, and you could have been taught wrong. I was taught wrong things. It happens. 
basically post-millennialism says this. Um, and again, I'm being brief because you could go into this stuff for hours and hours and hours. And I'm not going to do that here. But to be brief about it, I would point you to the last um, few verses in the book of Matthew where Jesus says before he leaves, Jesus said what? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He did not say all authority has been given to me in heaven, but you guys are going to have to wait a little while until I set up my millennial kingdom after the rapture and after the great tribulation, I'm going to come back and then I'll set up and then I'll have my kingdom. That's not what he said. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he follows that with, therefore you, talking to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's um, a great thing to let people know that believe in modalism and the oneness doctrine, like T.D. Jakes, who's a false teacher, and Phillips, Craig, and Dean, who are false teachers, and they happen to be so-called Christian singers that you hear on Christian radio, but they believe in modalism and they reject the Trinity. It's a great verse to take them to because Jesus said baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, what? I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Well, what age? What's going to come after this? Right? In other words, the end of time. He is with us now. Where did Jesus go? Well, the Bible tells us that he went and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. He is now ruling and reigning. Not at some point in the future, but he reigns now. And I could go on and on, and I've already spent more time on this than I wanted to. I would encourage you to go read the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus says there. He said what this generation, in other words, the generation that Jesus was talking to, is not going to pass away until these things come to pass. Hmm, something to think about. So I encourage you to look not only at church history, but also look at secular history. See what was happening in Rome at the time whenever Jesus said these things. We were talking about what was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Okay, It was a time of peace, and I would also encourage you to read um, some of the things that Josephus says about the siege of Jerusalem and all the things that happened there. So, point is... I no longer believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I believe in what is called post-millennialism. And that means, Christians, that you and I are supposed to get out there and do what Jesus told us to do, which is to go proclaim the gospel, make disciples of all nations. So, so the question has come to me, and the reason I bring it up, and the reason I'm bringing it up here, is because the question has come to me, James, are we living in the last days? My answer to that is, Yes, we are living in the last days, but I am probably not defining it the way that you are because we have been so infested with false teaching in the West. We've been infested with Armenian thinking, uh, not Calvinistic thinking. Uh, we have departed from the Reformed faith and uh, Reformed theology, I should say. 
and most Christians or people who call themselves Christians in the United States have believed, I am in the minority, uh, most of what are called evangelical Christians believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And they believe that because that's what they've been taught. So are we living in the last days? Absolutely we are. Does it mean the same thing to me that it probably means to most of my listeners right now? No, it doesn't. It means something different to me. And I will explain. I believe that the last days began at the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. And if you go back and you read Acts chapter 2, you will be able to see why I've come to that conclusion if you strip away your tradition and read what the Bible says. So since that time, we have been dealing with things which Jude warns us about here. We are in the last days. Jude was in the last days. In 1 Peter 1.20, um, it says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Well, who's Peter talking about there? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus was foreordained, which is an interesting word that you need to do some research on. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. When did this happen? Before the foundation of the world. But he was manifest, meaning that he was fully revealed at what time? In these last times. So Peter was saying, we're in the last times, and that was 2,000 years ago. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. We can already see from our text in Jude that Peter and Jude are in agreement with each other. They both believed they were living in the last days and they gave us one of the signals or signs that you would know you were in the last days. Scoffers and false teachers. And guess what? They were around in Jude's time. They were around in Peter's time. And this is what they're warning about. We need to be, beware of apostate teachers and the false doctrine that they spread. Jude tells us how we can identify them. They are mockers. They walk, and that just means they mock things. And they walk around in their ungodly lust. And remember, we talked in the previous episode about ungodliness. They are sensual, which means that it rela they relate in the physical senses, touch, uh, vision, smelling, taste, all these physical things. It's not always about sex, but sensuality means our senses, using our senses. But it is especially used in this um, context here as a source of pleasure, arousing the sexual things or the physical gratification. They cause divisions, Jude says, and they do not have the Holy Spirit. And you need to hear this. Jude says they do not have the Holy Spirit. It says they do not have the Spirit. In your Bible, that word Spirit may be capitalized, 
because it's referring to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. So it's so important, friends, because these false teachers will claim that they have the Holy Spirit. And most false teachers, if not all of them, claim to have a special anointing on them or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this almost always involves speaking in tongues, which is gibberish, and faith healing, which has been proven time and time and time again to be a false healing. And you will not recognize the false manifestations of what they are calling the Holy Spirit, and you will not recognize their manipulation unless you know Christ and you truly have the real Holy Spirit living in you. And you see, friends, it's the Holy Spirit baptism which places you in the body of Christ. You truly, when you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, the reason I bring this up is because there's another false teaching that says first you get saved, and then there's the second experience over here that happens, and you become, quote-unquote, baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. This is what our Pentecostal friends believe. And friends, they open the door for all this kind of stuff, all this kind of wacky faith healing gibberish talking and calling it tongues and all the rest of it it all goes hand in hand if you open the door for this kind of um, what I would call extra biblical revelation and all this other garbage that goes with it you open the door for all this mess and that's one reason that we're in the mess that we're in in the west is because of false teaching like this so Are we in the last days? I believe that we most certainly are, just as Jude was in the last days, just as Peter was in the last days. We are in the last days, but it's a very um, open term. It does not mean, uh, I mean, time to our God. I mean, look, when we covered the book of Genesis, just in the book of Genesis alone, we covered 2,000 years of human history. So you're thinking, well, it's been 2,000 years since since Christ, right? The church has been around for 2,000 years. You've been preaching Christ for 2,000 years. When does the end come? Well, look at what Peter said in the last days. They're going to ask that question. Where's the promise of his coming? Nothing has changed since the fathers fell asleep, meaning people have died. And it just keeps going. And the same thing over and over again. Hey, where's the promise of his coming? And you can almost hear people doing that sarcastically. Friends, um, Jude Jude has some instructions for us here, and that's what we need to get into. So he does have instructions for us here on the last days. Um, I've never been there, but there's a museum near Munich, Germany, which, and I've been all over the world, but this is one of the places I have not been. And it highlights, I'm told, through photos and displays, and I actually saw uh, there was a YouTube video posted on this, um, highlights through uh, photos and displays the horrific years of the Dachau concentration camp of World War II. And at the exit of this museum, there's a sign that says, those that do not learn from history are condemned 
to repeat its mistakes. And I believe that Jude would agree with this. Why? Because he has cited historical sources thus far in the book of Jude. He brings us stories from historical examples. All the way back to verse 5, he states that at one time his audience fully knew the truth, and this implies that it was sometime in the past that they knew the truth. But now they've slipped a little bit, and Jude reminds his readers of Israel's past, and he uses the words long ago, and we've talked about that in other episodes. Indeed, there is an importance to the history of our faith. And now in verse 17, Jude states that we are to remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's actually commanding us to remember. In this particular case, in this particular context, he is saying, fix your attention on the past. Not just any past, but the specific things which Jesus' apostles spoke and what did they tell us? They told us that in the last time there would be mockers who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Here it is again, that word ungodly. They are carried away by their passions. And you know, if Jude were to make a sign about remembering the past, like that one at the museum in Germany, it might look something like this. Those who fail to learn from Israel's history and those who dare go beyond the apostles' ministry, these are the ones condemned by God. And that is a quote that I just took from someone named David R. Helm. I've been reading his commentary on Jude, and anytime I do that, I want to give a credit where credit is due. I didn't come up with that by myself. I got it from uh, reading Helm. So you can go back and you can listen to all that we've covered on the book of Jude to get a complete history lesson, but for 15 verses, Jude has been telling us about the history of those who have dared to go against God. And we ought to remember our, our own history as Christians. We should learn and be ready to always give a reason defense for the hope that is within us. That's another thing that I'll say over and over and over again. Are you ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you? We should know how to recognize the enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only because history gives us these examples, but because of what Jude tells us here in verse 19. We can recognize the enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they are sensual persons and they cause divisions and they do not have the Holy Spirit. And that's really what this is about today. It's not about where you fall down on the last days. I just wanted to define what last days means according to scripture so that we have an understanding of what Jude is talking about. We keep things in context. Now, if you're a Pentecostal or you're charismatic or you are at least what I would call a continuationist, that means that you believe that the sign gifts are still operating in the church today. And you're going to have a bit of a problem with identifying false teachers because you've already allowed for, as I alluded to earlier, um, very subjective feelings and extra-biblical revelation. So 
let me be clear about this. There are Pentecostals and there are Charismatics who are saved. I believe that. But they are deceived about the sign gifts. And be that as it may, not every Pentecostal or every single Charismatic person embraces the likes of Benny Hinn and all the rest of the TBN crowd and the people that I've called out on this uh, show many times before. And I always want to make a distinction in my own mind between what I would call classical Pentecostalism or classic Pentecostalism and what has taken over that movement today. There is a difference. Now, I would say to my friends who are still Pentecostal and you're still in what I would call classic Pentecostalism, you need to search the scriptures and you need to get away from the emotionalism and the subjective stuff and get into a sober study of what the Word of God says. Because what God describes in His Word is not what you're doing in your church. And I mean that in love, but there needs to be a stern warning that goes with it. Because you're subjective and because you believe in extra-biblical revelation, you have no leg to stand against against these false teachers. Because the Pentecostal and charismatic crowd, or even those who are open to those operation of the sign gifts in the church today, they lack discernment. And I'm going to challenge you, if you're listening to this and you're Pentecostal, you probably, and in my experience, I have seen it, you lack discernment when it comes to recognizing what is fake from what is true. And you're so afraid to call it out when it is fake because you don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. So what's the difference? And you need to think about this Pentecostal listener. What is the difference between the gibberish tongue talking that you do and the gibberish tongue talking that Kenneth Copeland does and Rodney Howard Brown does and Paula White does it and T.D. Jakes does it and Phillips Craig and Dean do it? What's the difference? There isn't any, and that's what I'm going to challenge you on. You're in the same boat as those guys. You don't want to be, because I would actually make that division and put you in that classic Pentecostal camp, but you are in the same boat as those guys. What's the difference between those, those Trinity deniers who are actually modalists, like Phillips, Craig, and Dean, and like T.D. Jakes, What's the difference between those guys and what you're doing? There isn't any difference. So, you see, friends, when you open yourself up to manifestations that are subjective, you go by your feelings, you go by your emotions, you go by sensuality. You allow yourself to be swept away by these psychosomatic behaviors when you will be led, and this is the problem with Pentecostals, even those who are in the classic Pentecostal camp, you're swept away by every wind of doctrine. And we've seen everything from false healings, promises of wealth, holy laughter, prosperity, all the rest of it, all being done in the name of the Holy Spirit. And these are all mockeries of the true Holy Spirit. It's blasphemous to me because they attribute to the Holy Spirit things that are not the Holy Spirit. You remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they accused him of being 
demon-possessed. They actually were saying to him, you're doing things by the power of the devil. Okay? So they're telling God in the flesh, we don't believe you. We think that the works that you're doing, rather than attributing that to God, which is what they should have been doing, they attributed it to Satan. Well, now it's being flipped in things that are truly a work of the devil. It's false teaching. The Holy Spirit is not in them, but they are now attributing things of evil to the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, friends, it's not going to last. And may God hasten the day when he sobers up his church and gets this stuff out of his church. And I've not even dug into the false teachings in this particular episode of the Latter-day Saints and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists and the local church movement. Many other uh, things are out there that are cults, and they're all based on this sensuality and a lack of discernment and a misunderstanding of what the last days are. So all of these are based in false teachings about the Trinity and all the rest. So how do we know the truth? How can we know the truth? What makes me so sure? James, how are you so sure that you know the truth? Well, Paul gives us instructions in Galatians 1.8. So I have it from Jude. I've got it from Peter. And now I get it from Paul in Galatians. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven catch that, Latter-day Saints, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let them be accursed. And that last phrase, let him be accursed, it literally means this, let them go to hell or to hell with them. That's what it means. So Jude tells us to learn from the historical figures he points to because this is where we will find descriptions of apostates. It also means we are to measure what is being said by the, uh, by the preacher or the teacher. In other words, measure what I am saying against what the Bible has already stated. Measure it against what the apostles taught. And so with that, dear friends, be sober in your study of the Bible. Practice consistency and strive for context. If you are not a member of a church, I strongly recommend that you find a Bible-believing, Reformed church near you. Get into it. Get involved in a Bible study and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and make yourself accountable to someone who is more mature in the faith than you are. Someone who sticks to the apostles' doctrine without all the hype and all the emotions and all the experience and all the false doctrines that go with that. So with that said, listeners, until next time, God bless you. One, two, one, two. Yeah. Special dedication to my brothers and sisters on the great continent of Africa, the saints in Malawi, Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Zimbabwe, 
Don't be deceived by what America's sending y'all, yeah. man. Let me begin. While there's still ink left in my pen, I'm set to contend. For truth, you can bet will offend. Deception within. The church, man, who's letting them in? We talked about this years ago. Let's address it again. Yeah. And I ain't really trying to start beef. But some who claim to be part of the sheep got some sharp teeth. It cast it mean when you criticize them. But Jesus told us Matthew 7, 16, we can recognize them. And God forbid that for the love of some fans, I keep quiet and watch them die with their blood on my hands. So there's nothing left for me to do except to speak to you in the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2. And I know that some will label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that this heresy. I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TBN, that channel is overrated The pastors speak bogus statements, financially motivated It's kinda like a pyramid scheme Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream It's foul and deceitful, they're lying to people Teaching that camel squeeze through the eye of a needle Ungodly and wicked, ask yourself how can they not be convicted Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type Cause some of the statements are right That only prove that Satan comes as an angel of light This teaching can't be believed without a cause the lie is you can achieve a crown without a cross And I hear it all the time when they speak on the block Even unbelievers are shocked how they're feasting the flock It should be obvious then, yeah I'll explain why it's sin Peep the Bible, it's in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 It talks about how the desire for riches Has left many souls on fire in stitches, mired in ditches Tell me who would teach you to pursue as a goal The very thing that the Bible says will ruin your soul, huh? Yet they're encouraging the love of money To make it worse, they've exported this garbage into other countries my heart breaks even now as i'm rhyming you want to know what all false teachers have in common what? it's called selfism the fastest growing religion they just dress it up and call it christian don't be deceived by this funny biz if you come to jesus for money then he's not your god money, money is jesus is not a means to an end no. the gospel is he came to redeem us from sin and that is the message forever Never i'll yell down. if you're living your best life now you're headed for hell talk to him also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3.